Welcome to More Than Movies. I'm Ivana. And I'm Jay. Today we duke it out in a nerd battle. Then we cruise into some TV predictions and jungle action. It's time for a nerd battle. Ding, ding, ding. It's a DC casting face-off. This is a nerd battle for the ages. Definitely. I mean, Jay, you've mentioned a number of times that Gal Gadot as Wonder Woman is the most perfect casting that could ever exist on the planet. I I think it's the best uh, casting maybe in all of the DCEU. Maybe not like the whole planet. Like... Harrison Ford as Indiana Jones is pretty damn good. But finding an actress to fit a superhero, uh, especially as one as iconic as Wonder Woman, is a difficult feat. They did it really, really well on the Marvel side. Like, obviously, uh, Chris Evans, you know, my boy, Chris Evans. And Chris Hemsworth (laughs) are, like, really amazing. But Gal Gadot, I, I, I just think there's something there. And you know what? Let's put it out there real quick. Gal Gadot, Gal Gadot. I never know exactly what's right, but I say Gadot. So if it's going to drive you crazy this entire thing, I'll just say Gal. <laughs> okay, fair enough, fair enough. Well, I I disagree with you here because I think that actually Margot Robbie as Harley Quinn is honestly maybe the best of the superhero castings. Full stop. I don't don't know if I... I definitely don't agree with that. Look, okay. This is the nerd battle. If you haven't heard a nerd battle, it goes like this. We battle these two sides. And why don't uh, don't you start and explain yourself? I thought about all the different ways in which somebody picks casting from physical appearance to understanding the soul of a character to simply raw performance abilities. And frankly, I think Margot Robbie is tops. She is just perfect. Like she looks like Harley Quinn. She fits what you imagine from um, seeing all of the various sort of permutations of Harley Quinn through the comics I feel like she truly understands the soul of the character in a way that is just a lot more like deep than maybe most other like performers. Her actual acting skills are unparalleled. And I think that that also adds to it. The fact that she's willing to have fun with this role is also something that gets me Every single time. I mean, you basically have described Gal as well, just by those those factors alone. Willing to have fun with the role, check. Got got into the character. She made this character more iconic than even Linda Carter did. Like she removed that American raw 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 that the seventies had, and all that like that sex bomb stuff, and and made Wonder Woman like. Let's face it. She's the best part of Justice League. She's the best part of Batman v Superman. She is the best character for kids. She is the best, the most emotional that we're going to get out of anything. And I will even say in 1984. The most emotional. The most emotional. I'm sorry. Her stories bring out way more emotion than Harley Quinn. Uh, I'm sorry. Harley Quinn is far more emotional as a character than Wonder Woman. Wonder Woman is stoic. She's not emotional. She's like, you know, an icon, a god. She's kind of removed from humanity. Oh, my God. Wonder Robbie isn't even the best current Harley Quinn. Uh, Is it Kaylee Cuckoo? Is that who is the best current? Absolutely it is. I just don't even understand how you can say that. Her Harley Quinn is more emotionally deep than any other Harley Quinn. Like she both has fun with it and also actually is the most like vulnerable as a character. Like that's the kind of beauty about Margot Robbie's Harley Quinn. I'm going to throw you a bone. Okay. I will concede that Harley's movies have 
way better action than any Wonder Woman film. And Harley is kicking ass. Margot is doing the work in those uh, incredibly well choreographed scenes. She sure is. Okay, I will give you that. But the stories being told in Wonder Woman storming through the trench as, you know, gal's finest moment. You got, in 1984 even, I'm not even going to say it's a great movie. Like, both of these ladies have stinker films. Like, not not as great films. Absolutely. Both of them do. But both of them are always the best part of whatever film they're in. I'll even give you that. Even in 1984... It, the story did more for me at the end where she is reminding the world to hope. That reached into here, in, in this, in deep in my heart. And Harley Quinn's, Margot Robbie's Harley Quinn has never done that. She is at best, at best, a sidekick. A great side character. Gal is iconic. Let me just be very clear. Margot Robbie transformed Harley Quinn from like a niche character that very specific fan bases liked to literally one of the most popular comic book characters of all time. And I have major issues when you say that Harley and Margot Robbie as Harley cannot elicit emotions. Personally, I think that she has a real raw way of playing Harley Quinn where she's just always very vulnerable, like emotionally vulnerable, willing to actually put her heart out. And she plays that so honestly. And on and to me, that actually sways me in a way that is much more emotional than anything Wonder Woman has ever done. Wonder Woman is a lovely Whoa, symbol. Oh my God. But she's Wonder never Woman made me... is the heart of the entire EU. Like where, how, where do you see what do you the mean, heart? Where, like, how? Not okay, that Justice she's not League. Heart, but she's just, she's like a symbol of a heart. She's Batman not v a heart. Superman, Justice League. We can talk about 1984. She is the heart. There's I, I like even more so than Shazam is Wonder Woman at the heart of the DCU. No way. Shazam and I, look, has I way love, more heart than I Wonder love Woman. The scene, that incredible scene with Billy Batson's mother. It is incredible, but the kindness and the, like, you just smile when Gal is on, dressed as Wonder Woman. She smiles at the camera. She owns it way over any other star who's there. Like Henry Cavill and, and Ben Affleck are massive stars. She just destroys them when she's on screen with them. And uh, look. Yeah, Harley and Quinn Harley destroys anyone she's on street screen with too. Yeah, no, I'm not. I'm not gonna say that she's she isn't maybe the best part or at least top tier of her films. Except for Birds of Prey, they're never really her films. And even the Birds of Prey, it's not necessarily her story. It's the Birds of Prey story, and she's kind of just along for the ride. The casting of who is a better. Wonder Woman or who is a better Harley Quinn is the thing that we're well, talking about Well, I've already told here. you that there is a better Harley Quinn and it's Kaylee Coco. And she is not a better Harley Quinn. She is absolutely better. I mean, that is better. just not true. 100% absolutely better. I'm not saying that Harley, de- like Margot doesn't have great things going for her. She makes movies fun and light and exciting. I'm not saying that Kaylee Cuckoo as Harley Quinn doesn't have great things going for her either, but... I'm sorry. She is. It's not the same as the performance that you're getting from Margot Robbie as Harley Quinn. When you watch 1984, you love 1984, and you I love tolerated the first Wonder Woman movie. Uh, but the first Wonder Woman movie touched so many more people than the first Suicide Squad movie. So the first time we met Harley, yeah, she's the best part of that movie, but bad movie. But again. Who is better than her in any of her movies? Oh, I would argue that in the Suicide Squad movie, John Cena and Idris Elba are really like, oh, no. And even Stallone, like King Shark is the best part for me in the Suicide Squad. In Birds of Prey, I, I in Birds of Prey, I lean towards the mask, the black mask. I think the black mask is one of the best villains in all of superheroes. Like, 
I, he gets shit on, but he's so psychotic and I love him. See, I feel like what, what I mean though is it's not like the character that you prefer. Margot Robbie as Harley Quinn brings the best. Like she's performing, I think, at a higher level than any of the other people that are, are, are with her. Especially with that character. She just like melds with that character so perfectly. They basically become one thing. Where I feel like, you know, it's always Gal Gadot. It's never really Wonder Woman. I don't know about that. I feel like you get lost in Wonder Woman in 1984. I feel like, you know, that opening scene where you're just, you can't help but smile and be along for the ride and she's flinging people around and grabbing people by their ankles and winking at little girls. Like, God, I love that. And, and you know, Harley was never meant for little girls. I get that. Yeah, you can't do that kind of comparison. I just think that from a casting standpoint, Gal is always Gal. She's like one of those actors that is very talented, but is always themselves in any role that they play. And I think that Margot Robbie really disappears into her characters and that in and of itself makes her a just more interesting Harley Quinn because I feel like she's a really unique version of Harley Quinn that I've never seen and just feels raw where when I'm watching Gal Gadot as Wonder Woman I'm just sort of like picturing Gal Gadot as Wonder Woman and she's an amazing Wonder Woman but she's still always Gal Gadot as Wonder Woman. So maybe I just don't like Harley Quinn in these movies. Like, she's not my favorite in Birds of Prey. She's not my favorite in Suicide Squad. And she is my favorite in the Suicide Squad. Not my favorite in the new Suicide Squad, which would be, you know, King Shark, who is hilarious. Uh, But I maybe I'm just not on board, like, the Harley Quinn story in The Suicide Squad by James Gunn. I've read a lot that people really loved it. I, I liked her more in Birds of Prey than I did in The Suicide Squad. I was I was more intrigued by other characters in that film. And I, I thought there were some interesting choices that James Gunn made in the new Suicide Squad movie. I don't want to spoil anything. It's still in theaters and it's fairly new and all of that. But it, it, I don't know. Like... I also I, didn't I love thought, 1984 as much as you did. Um, her her character, like James Gunn's uh, Suicide Squad, she was by far to me the most interesting story. I, I liked King Shark. He was good too. Um, and I, but yeah, to, for me, anytime she was on screen, I was like enraptured. While the other stories were going on, I was less at the edge of my seat. But I, and I really think it comes down to just the way she plays the character. Like, she really comes at it from this vulnerable, like, I'm going to feel with my whole heart kind of way, even though it's both bad for me and kind of fucked up. I think it's really cool to see those two things juxtaposed together. And I guess I don't see as many juxtapositions in... Wonder Woman and Gal Gadot because they're both just like stoic figures. They're lovely. They're um, majestic and beautiful and almost like uh, a wild stallion that's running in a field far away, you know, like. Yeah, but they're also just two completely like Gal plays it as we've talked about the gods, DC's gods. And, you know, Gal plays this stoic warrior because that's Wonder Woman's stoic warrior. Harley Quinn plays a broken spirit because she's a broken person. And yeah, we definitely get to see more range out of Margot, I think. Uh, But, you know, we're talking about like the casting specifically. Do you not think anybody else could have gotten that role and played it as crazy? I don't know. I, I, I kind of, I I kind of would love to see Kaylee Coco do it. No way. Kaylee Coco could not do it in the way that Margot does it. I I like Harley Quinn, the animated series, and I understand that you love animated series, but it doesn't mean that it's the same, like... (laughs) And and Kaylee Coco is really good. Like, I really like her flight attendant show. Brilliant. But I guess that's the thing, is, like, I don't know if... I feel like 
other people could play Wonder Woman, I really just don't know if I think that I'd be happy with any other performance for a Harley Quinn that isn't animated at this point. Well, there you go. That is the nerd battle. Who would you pick as the best cast in the DCU? Is it Gal or is it Margo? So, Jay, I don't know about you, but I have been watching a lot of TV fall previews recently. Really? Really? Anything exciting? Well, I think we're going to talk about a few of them in our <laughs> upcoming segment. But it, it got me to thinking because, like, while I was sort of figuring out what are we going to talk about this week, I realized how much the the premiere schedule with with streaming has completely changed. So there isn't, like seasons anymore and it feels weird almost that some shows come in the fall yeah it's unbelievable how continuous tv is now year round and how at any moment your favorite show could just show up in your feed and you're like it's back already okay great and it and who knows what time of year that is maybe it's and well sometimes they disappear for like multiple years as well i i feel like i'm just gonna say this I think that the TV schedule, like the seasonal TV schedule, is good for creative television. And I think that like the whole streaming, like you watch it all in one go and then it disappears for however many years, then it comes back. You lose a lot of momentum. And because you're not like seeing the shows kind of like in a repetitive way, you also don't really build like a bond. I certainly certainly have more conversations about TV that start with, yeah, I've seen the first season or I haven't got there yet. Like there's so much to choose from that are people investing any time at all? Or is it just like, Hey, I've got a couple hours. I might as well binge something and then like, you know, go about my life. Yeah. I, I will say this, that I don't feel like right now there's a lot I'm always like, there's a lot of times where a new show premieres and I'm just like, mm, I, I don't think I'm going to watch this one. I've been skipping shows, which I find crazy. It used to be that there was not enough TV to like satiate me. And now I'm just like, nah, I don't feel like watching that show. Okay. So you know what I think there is still like, I, I think you're right. I think it's a fall TV specifically gathering for fall to watch new shows. I think that might be a little bit old fashioned thinking, but what I do think is still relevant and correct me if you think otherwise, um, I think fall TV viewing is still a thing. Maybe you're not watching what is on TV. Maybe you're going straight to Netflix, but there is a certain, at least for people who I think have all four seasons, a certain summer is over. I'm getting back to not being out every five minutes. And now it's time for new TV shows. We're going to settle in for some TV. And it's it's the beginning of the hibernation season. That's right. Everyone goes, I am done with socializing and now I will go into my home. And, And so it's, I think it's a new TV cycle. Maybe like maybe Maybe we look at fall as the beginning of your TV watching for another year. I like this. The same way that we think of September as being, hey. Labor Day is the new year. Yeah, that's the new year. Maybe TV, its new year is fall, and then it just cycles through. And that's why summer is always, you know, game shows and less narrative stuff and Then we get the narration back all of a sudden again and all new shows. I'm I'm very interested to see what the streaming services bring to us also this this fall. But it's less important to them to bring those. They almost like should be dropping them in the summer. So people, when they start that hibernation, can get right into a show that people have been talking about for the last couple weeks. You know what I mean? It's like already waiting for them. Yeah, I don't. Well, I I like the idea of a fall season, even in the streaming networks. I mean, I do notice that there's a lot of reality TV in the summer 
even on the streamers. Definitely. They've got uh, they've got way more reality TV on Netflix than I think they've ever had before. Ever. Yeah. And you could be right. It's because, you know, like people are popping on and they don't want to invest in a whole narrative while the sun's out. So they, you know, oh, we can pop on a couple episodes of this and then go about our merry way. It's a reality show. It's no big deal. Like, well, we'll check in later. And uh, I know that I watched like the hotel show that popped up. Like the crazy hotel shows that, you know, vacation here, here, here. Oh, yeah. Those are, oh, those are so fun to watch. So fun to watch. And those are so easy to put on and you have no commitment. So you walk away. But yeah, I I don't know. Maybe we look at it as it's the start of the hibernation period where people start their TV cycle again in whatever form that means. I like that. And with that... Series Survival. Dun, dun, dun. We have three new shows that we are going to put to the series survival test. If this is your first time listening, series survival is something that Ivana and I are be, we're, we're tracking all the time. And there is a clear and defined winner. And currently I am that winner. Just had to throw that in there, Ivana. I am. I believe we were actually tied the, the last time because we got cut short by the pandemic and we're actually tied all right this is bonkers now okay whatever I we're want a tied season, you want a season then we tied this is a really <laughs> big one because we are three in and there's no real score we're totally tied so we talk about three new series these are brand new that are coming to platforms to network television And we decide whether this new series has the lasting power to make it to a season two. And then we tally up all the scores when we know and we announce our winner. It's kind of fun. Maybe you guys should try it with your friends or tell us what you think after we announce our our predictions as well. So Ivana, what is our first TV show that we're talking about today? We have a Netflix show that is coming out on September 7th. And for the record, we are recording this on August 31st. Um, so it's called On the Verge. What do you think? Do you think that this show is going to be canceled or renewed? Did you like it? Okay, so I, I didn't mind this trailer. It's about four women in their post-40s life. And what's going on with their families and what's going on with their love lives. And and basically, a lot of them are contemplating change in their life. Maybe one's taking a new career route, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. It felt to me like a like a like an older version of Sex in the City, but taking place in L.A. Yeah, like in my head, it was kind of like Grace and Frankie. Yeah. Sex in the City in terms of the vibe, not the Grace and Frank, I mean, not necessarily because they're that much older than Sex in the City or anything, but just there's a Grace and Frankie kind of vibe going on where it's totally. a little bit more family, a little bit more. Uh, this is us. You've got like the feelings involved and you've got the Sex in the City girlfriends. Well, it feels like the the 19 year olds who grew up with sex in the city on TV, watching sex in the city. This is a show for their next stage of life almost because now they're in their forties. And I kind of thought that was really rad. Now with that said, it looks, it, it looks good. I think it looks slowish, but it could be really, yeah. really amazing. You're right. It does look a little slowish. It's Julie Delphi who, I don't know, people know her or they don't really. Like she's, she's one of Richard Linklater's like progenies made it huge with before sunrise and the whole Mm -hmm. before trilogy. But I don't know if she ever broke through in a way that people really, really know who she is. No, I, but they do have Elizabeth Shue, who, who definitely she is did. like a massive, but yeah, she's massive. So I think uh, I think this could easily get to a season two on Netflix. I don't know if I'm the audience, so I might not be watching, but I think I know a couple of people who will. 
Yeah, I I was just going to say, I don't think this is my kind of show necessarily. Not that that doesn't mean that I wouldn't watch it, (laughs) but um, I don't know how far I'd get. I I also think that it has a good shot of getting to season two. Um, Another show that got to season two was the one with Christina Applegate. I was um, totally just thinking of that one too. Yeah, and Grace and Frankie got to season six. So, and and you know, although I do watch that show, uh, and it's not like this show. No. There's um, Virgin Creek or Virgin River. Virgin River does real well on Netflix. Absolutely. So I think there is certainly an audience on Netflix who will just really go to town on this. And uh, and September 7th feels like, you, hey, we just said it. It's your hibernation season. You're looking for new content, and I think you'll uh, you'll find something here. So it will go for both of us to season two. I think so. I think I'm going with a renew prediction myself, and, and you are too. Absolutely. Okay, let's talk about Dan Brown's The Lost Symbol on Peacock, which is NBC Universal's platform. I don't know much about the Peacock platform, (laughs) Um, but I have to say that the platform is growing. They need to grow it. I think this show could be Peacock's Jack Ryan, the same way that Prime Video has Jack Ryan. This could be Peacock's Jack Ryan. Uh, Will Dan Brown's The Lost Symbol make it season two? Ivana, what's it about? If you enjoy Dan Brown's novels, if you enjoyed uh, the movies with Tom Hanks, this is going to be for you. It's actually a prequel of that whole Dan Brown Angels and Demons uh, series. Yeah, Da Vinci Code, etc. Exactly. So it's kind of like the origin tale. The lead actor, I think, seems really well cast. And actually, for he was a big highlight for me. So the lead actor, Ashley Zuckerman, plays Robert Langdon. And I, I feel like it's a really good fit. The production value is amazing. And this show is essentially going to be an adventure ride where we decode puzzles and solve mysteries all related to the Bible and, and the origins of, you know, humans. Yeah, sure. I mean, it's a Dan Brown novel, guys. It's going to be like part world-ending catastrophe, part solving puzzles. Like, this is their big drive to hope people sign up. Will people sign up? No idea. I, I No clue. But will they say, hey, Ron Howard, Brian Grazer, you want to keep going with this? Of course they're going to say that. Why would they not say that? Agree. I think that this is a big picture show and I think that they're going to want people to sign up and therefore it's going to be in their best interest to sign on to a season two. The fact that Ron Howard and Brian Grazer said we want to do this is enough for them unless for whatever reason it ends up being a limited series they'll just keep doing it because for whatever reason these movies after like Da Vinci these movies are not great movies. He keeps making them. Yeah. And he's Ron Howard. They're going to keep letting him do whatever the hell he wants. You know, I also think that there this has an audience. If anyone, it'll be the boomers. And this show will definitely appeal to boomers. I totally agree. And I will probably watch at least an episode of this show. Oh, yeah. I'm definitely going to give it a shot. Totally. But will it get renewed? We both said yes. Ah, this is shaping out to be... Pretty boring. What is our last in the series survival today? All right. Well, the last one is probably the one where we're going to differ if we're going to differ on anything. Um, And it is a PBS series called Guilt. Uh, It's part of a mystery network. And it appears to be, and I don't recall what specific land the accent came from, but somewhere in the Great Britain region in general. I think it's uh, it's Scotland. He mentions he's Scottish. Ah, nice. But here's the deal. It's a, I guess a couple small town crooks run over a dude. They ran over the wrong dude and they feel really bad about it. But there's also like 
a lot of guilt to go around about this guy. And I'm just going to be honest. I couldn't even watch the whole trailer. This is not my kind of show. It is a little slow, even for me. I, I, I actually like for the when it at the very end, when it says that it's part of the mystery part of PBS, I was like, oh, what what's the mystery exactly in this show? Like, is this how they're going to get caught? Is this the first time that we've ever had a PBS show here? Because I have no idea which way to swing this. Like, it, it very well could be exactly the right channel with exactly the right audience. But I'm like, it's PBS. Don't they keep, like, is it Masterpiece Theater still on this channel after 50 years? Well, that's where I actually think that a show that seems as both slow but also high quality and also imported... Um, that would appeal to the PBS audience because the thing I know about PBS is the pledge drives and the fact that it tends to um, pull in an audience. I mean, if I was going based on stereotypes, master's degrees, PhDs, looking for kind of highbrow intellectual type content, looking to learn, looking for nuance in their series. So I think this show found a good home the problem is I just don't know anything about PBS or how much they renew series. Um, I think it's an import. So I think what we really have to ask ourselves is the original network from Scotland, which we don't know, would they renew the series? Okay. And I have a little, okay. So it looks like a sky production a little bit like, and I know a little bit about sky productions and they do renew their shows like especially their crime shows. So I'm just going to throw out there a yes. Oh my gosh. What am I going to do? I, I I'll be honest with you. This could I be the am, most boring round of series survival ever. It, it could be. It, yes, I agree. Uh, I, you know, I'm just going to go the opposite partly because I did not think it was that interesting. And so I'm going to hope, that it just doesn't find an audience and that's why it doesn't get renewed. If I win this thing by one point, you cannot bring this moment up. Of course I'm going to bring this moment up. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. So that's three yeses for me, two yeses from you this week, Ivana and Ah, man, this is shaping up to be one of our more interesting series survivals. Remember, if you've, you've, you're joining us for the first time, I got a title on this. Ivana's got a title. This is for like, you know, a second win from one of us. It's a big deal. It's a big deal. It's a big deal. But I'm the current champ. Actually, technically, it was a, we never finished that last round. Oh, so yeah, it was a draw. yeah, yeah, yeah. It's Film Freaks. Chatter for the film fan and all of us. Last time, I was done with the dark and decided we needed something light and fun and airy and whimsical. We watched Disney's Jungle Cruise. Yes, we did. Jungle Cruise starring Emily Blunt and Dwayne the Rock Hard Body Johnson. So here's the deal. We meet Emily Blunt, who is looking for this tree that has magical leaves and can cure everyone on the planet. But we also have a Nazi trying to beat her to the tree so that he can use its power to win the war. But Blunt's Lily enlists the services of Frank to take her down the river. Unbeknownst to her, Frank is kind of good at this cruising business. The only thing is that he's kind of a con man. A really good con man. And he's also super strong. So that helps when they get into trouble. But she's not sure if she should trust this guy. And for good reason. Turns out Frank has been cursed some odd 400 years ago when he and his band of conquistadors tried to get a tribal chief to lead them to the magic tree. But instead, he was cursed to remain at the river's edge for all eternity. But back to the Nazis... 
Prince Nazi dude, played by a ridiculously silly Jesse Plemons, has freed some of the other cursed buddies of Frank who kind of want him dead, but they also need to get the tree to uncurse themselves. You get the idea. It's a big adventure movie with all kinds of silliness ending up in a sprawling adventure fight scene where Frank sacrifices himself, but then gets saved by Emily and they fall in love. And that's a wrap. Wow. That's a nice little bow. Why, thank you. So, Ivana, Jungle Cruise, did you dig it? I had a lot of fun. I had a very good amount of fun watching this movie. I thought it was very good. Very, very solid, fun romp. I watched it twice. I know. (laughs) You watched it twice within, like, two days. You must have loved it. You know what? The first time I watched it, I think we were a little, uh, you know, we might have been second screening on our phones. And the second time I watched it, I was like, oh, actually, this story is pretty cohesive. The first time around, I was like, these cursed dudes kind of jump out of nowhere. But then I was watching a second time around. I'm like, no, no, no. This all really fits. Got some really great side characters. Blunt and The Rock are dynamite together. Like, they are just. They have great chemistry. Oh, my God. And then Jesse Plemons as this Prince Hakim or whatever the hell his name was. Uh, the Prince Nazi guy, he is so funny and he's always like, he's always good in everything that he does. Of course he is. And he, you could tell like he is there to choose scenery and he doesn't care and it's fine and it's fun and it's great. And I I just like some of the set pieces. Here's the deal with the, the thing. Uh, obviously that I don't love about the jungle cruise movie is like, it, it looks really fake. Like it, it's so CGI Ugh. heavy that um, it's like, it's really, really bad how fake everything on this Jungle Cruise looks. But with that said, the actors elevate it. They, they make you love them very quickly and you just want to go on the rest of the ride with them. And, and I'm with you, Ivana. Like I just have a really fun time with Emily Blunt and The Rock all the way through the film. Um, mm. Even when the most ridiculous, like the, the cursed 400 years old thing, it's bonkers and it's so ridiculous, but it also so works. <laughs> it works. It really is a good device. It went like when they revealed it, I was like, oh yeah, that, that works nicely. I, I get it. Good job. Like (laughs) it brings in the bad guys in a more personal way. Like it just elevated the story to do it. It was weirdly both cliche, but also the right choice and not a bad thing. Um, I also really liked Jack Whitehall. Like I thought he was really good. I think this is like one of his first acting things. Maybe can we we break this down for a second? So Emily Blunt has this, sort of hoity-toity brother who's along for the ride. And there's a moment in it where, like, Disney addresses the fact that this is a gay man in 1940s Brazil, I guess, or wherever the hell this rainforest is. And I was blown away that they did that. I, yeah. I mean, he, so he comes out to Dwayne the Rock Johnson. And Dwayne the Rock Johnson is super like He's super chill. Supportive. Yeah, chill. Chill is the exact perfect way to describe. It. He was like, "Cool. Okay." Which Moving also on. totally like, makes sense. The man is 400 years old, seen everything. Oh yeah, he for sure has seen everything. <laughs> um I think it was really great. It was an interesting and weird scene though to me. Like totally it felt weird. a little bit like it stuck out from the rest of the movie. Um, it felt like it was like, I don't know is, is Disney just virtue signaling? Like in some ways it feels like someone just wanted to tick a box. Like there wasn't enough wokeness in jungle cruise. So they thought let's actually have a scene where literally one character comes out to another one. I, I literally, the first time watching it turned to Becky and I was like, wow, like, I didn't expect this in this movie. Wow. And then I immediately was like, well, kind of cool that it's there. Like you knew that Disney's first time completely bringing a gay character out like this. They weren't going to do it right. But, but also (laughs) I'm like, 
Wow. Okay. I appreciate it. It's funny it. that you say they won't do it right because I feel like they do so much right with the whole Marvel Cinematic Universe. Oh, yeah, for sure. But, like, they don't have an openly gay person in that either. Yeah, that that's And that's, true. like, a little strange. That is actually, like, shockingly strange. Absolutely. But, that's bizarre I mean, look, to me. I, I like it. The scene, I'm happy it's there. It feels, like, worded the right way for children, too. Like, the audience was definitely kids here. Yep. And I loved it. Like, you know... If I was sitting there with a kid and the scene came on, I'd be like, great. This is a fantastic way to teach kids tolerance. Yes, like, absolutely. But it was definitely, definitely a little out of place. Totally out of place. And I, and I always was like, you know what? In a big family blockbuster film, Disney probably would never really stick this landing in a big family film like this. But hey, it's there and it opens a door for conversation. It opens that that moment that I, I I did genuinely think it was a weird but touching moment. I was like so down with The Rock's reaction to it and the way that he said it like matter of factly. And the only one who stuck up for me was Emily Blunt. And then you even love Emily Blunt even more, even though you're like you're so on her side at that point in the film anyway. But now you're oh, even you're, more like she, of she course really she wins you over. Yeah, of course, Lily is that awesome. Like a hundred percent she is. She like just freaking jumped out of a window onto a double decker bus. And then she like ran across a a, a rooftop <laughs> trying to free monkeys. Yeah. She's nuts. She's crazy as a character and so lovable. So lovable. She's, I think she's the thing that works for me the most. Like the rocks character is not as interesting at all. Um, but the two of them together have a great chemistry. And if like, I would have loved to see the rock maybe also be zany, but he's kind of more of a straight man. He's a little straight man, but I gotta admit you're one or two people watching this movie. You're either laughing at those puns or you are cringing at those puns. And I was, Ugh. I was dying laughing. And you were I cringing hard. Cringed. And Blake was so happy we watched it together. And he was like, this is the best. Look, and I'm it like, was uh. the best. <laughs> you know, you know what was the worst? The cat. And the and the animation around the cat. I love the cat. Like the, the character of the cat was really fun. The the whole relationship with uh, Jack Whitehall's character was really great. But the damn animation on that cat. Like, why does it have to look like we're watching, you know, a cartoon? Yeah. Like, why is this like Looney Tunes? I know. This is the thing that is wrong with this film. Like, I'm giving it a solid three and a half. It's a lot of fun. And honestly, like, if I was with family or something, I would put this on the big screen outside. It would be a fun night. The CGI in this film kills me. Kills me. How do you get us so right with Marvel and you screw it up so bad here? Well, obviously it comes down to budget, I think. But like you can't do something that 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 is that CGI heavy and then not have a budget to support it. Also, you have top build cast like there's no excuse here for the shitty CGI. And also, as a person who gets really mad at my films for bad CGI, it ruins it. It takes you out of the film. It does. It really, really does. And that, like, there's a character who has snakes coming out of his face and stuff, and it looks terrible. Yeah. Yeah, it looks terrible. It made me think of, like, the old bad Pirates of the Caribbean movies. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, the first Pirates of the Move, uh, Caribbean really focused a lot on practical, and real, the, when they got to CG, the CG was pretty darn good. Or they yeah. filmed it at, at dark with, with semi-realistic CGI, and it really worked. But, you know, by the end, where we're getting tentacle faces and krakens that are just giant arms, like it really took away from the experience. With that said, the story really is a fun, a fun story. So you get to go along with these great characters on this fun story. And that is why I'm like rating it as high as I am. Um, but I, I know that if you're at home and you're like listening and you're like, okay, if CGI is so important that it's going to kill the film for you, 
you might want to pass on this. Yeah, this is the kind of film that I think is great to watch if you just want like, you know, you don't want to think too much. You just want to have fun. You want to watch a movie and not have it be much more than just a movie. And and for that, it's good. Like I give it three stars out of five. I think it's a great, like good film. Lots of fun. I could take it or leave it ultimately, but I'm I'm happy I watched it. I definitely want more adventure films like this. I do want more adventure films with really great characters, and I do want to see that. Uh, so, like, if theaters have been open, I might have even gone to the theaters to see this because. Oh, you would have seen this in theaters because I I want more of this. I love this treasure chasing, fun, mustache twirling villains. That are just so over the top. Jesse Plemons is ridiculous in this film in the best way possible. He's the best villain, but then the the like four hundred year old like monster conquistadors, guilty dudes. They they were not great villains, and they were ultimately like the the master villain. I just want to put out a PSA out there. You know what? It's perfectly fine to have a bad guy who's just a human. With ridiculously crazy aspirations. That's an acceptable bad guy. Absolutely. You don't need more of a bad guy than that. I have fun watching that guy be a bad guy. He had a submarine in a river in the Amazon. Come on. Exactly. How did he get that submarine there? (laughs) You know, there's so many questions. But you don't need like a guy made of bees to make it more ridiculous. You had a submarine in the Amazon. That's enough. I will say I I do hope that there's more of these sort of adventure films as well. But I like adventure films similar to the way that I like my comedy. And I like it mixed with another genre. So um, for this, this was a little on the nose in terms of the genre of it all. Um, Indiana Jones. Yeah, this is adventure film. Like 101. Like this is a, a 101 like Paint what by is a numbers. vanilla adventure film? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Where like Indiana Jones is has I don't know it has like this that archaeological twist that and the history um, and the lore. Yeah, and and it feels more authentic. Where this feels like it's just nodding a lot to that. Um, and I just think that it's fun when you can mix an adventure with any other kind of fun genre, whether it's like western, space, whatever you want. Go on an adventure in a different kind of locale. I think that's fun. Um, one thing I feel like we should talk about with this film before we we move on too much is imperialism. And did you think a lot about imperialism and like the weight of imperialism on our culture, on everything in this movie? Oh, yeah. It felt like very present. I couldn't unsee it. You know what I mean? Oh, yeah. I was like, look at these like rich white people storming through Brazil and you know, they're going to totally take whatever the hell they want from this sacred magical place that is not where they are from, but yeah, no problem. Like go Britain. Yeah. Yeah. And like, even like you even get to, it's, it's, a. I think that's the big blind spot of the movie. And I think that, even though it's hard to look past the imperialism. And I thought a lot about what whiteness has done to the planet uh, watching this film. I don't think that was its intention, but I don't think you can kind of look away. I I do think, though, the film isn't harming anyone per se, but it's definitely romanticizing, you know, a pretty horrible thing that we did in history. It does work as something that's going on during World War II, I think. If it was going on right now, they'd have to legitimately address everything. Yeah. 100%. But because it's in the 40s, it's I, I'm pretty sure it's Brazil or it's somewhere in South America. And... You don't know where the hell this is taking place. Now I feel like an idiot. I think, well, no, I think that on purpose it's probably vague, right? I bet it's not and we're just saying it is. <laughs> <laughs> I bet there was a title, the card that came up that we just totally overlooked. <laughs> but it was so funny because Becky's been on this jungle cruise. It is the Amazon jungle. 
South America. But the Amazon River is like insanely long. So it doesn't really actually get down to the nitty gritty here. But at least we know South America. Yeah. So interesting because Becky's been on the Jungle Cruise ride a lot in her life. They used to go to Florida all the time. And she would go to Disney World and they'd go on the Jungle Cruise ride. And she told me, I've never been on it, that the beginning of the film is the Jungle Cruise ride. Puns. That's cool. She was like, this is so clever. This is the ride. And I'm like, is this a ride? And she's like, yeah, like the way he's talking and like, you know, this is the best. I actually laughed out loud when he said, this is the best tour that you can take in this price range. <laughs> and I was like, oh, that's awesome. What are we watching next time? That is Jungle Cruise. All right. We're going to keep the lighthearted content going. It's the end of summer. It's not time yet to think too hard. So we are going to check out a good old summer comedy called Vacation Friends. Ooh, it's another one on Disney+. Plus. I like it. I like that we're staying with the light stuff. I know we're going to find our way back to Isn't the it dark. Hulu? It's Hulu. It's Hulu. Here it's Disney+. Plus. Wait, what? We don't have Hulu in Canada. Here it's Disney+. Plus. What? Oh, That's yeah. That's crazy. Canada, Disney+. Disney+. Plus, Plus? U.S. Hulu. Wow. Yeah, Disney Plus has all kinds of R-rated comedies. It's under their star banner. Fascinating. I know. It's crazy. Crazy, crazy. And that's our show. Thanks so much for listening, and please be sure to tune in again next time. If you enjoyed what you heard today, please add a rating or review to your podcast app if it's available. The music you heard today comes from bensound.com and by exploring our show notes, you'll learn more about our friends who voiced our intros and where we secured our sound effects. You can find more episodes and information at our website, morethemovies.net. Or like us on Facebook slash morethemoviespodcast. And if you want to interact directly, you can find us both on Twitter. I'm at Jester J. I'm at It's Ivana. We'll be back soon with a new episode, so make sure to subscribe if you haven't yet. Until next time, friends. Do more. And watch more.